This week on Three Sides of the Coin, I think all we have to say is Motor City Madman Ted frickin' fucking crazy ass Nugent. When in doubt, I'm gonna whip it out. <laughs> and Mark did. And Mark whips it out. <laughs> Got me a rock and roll band. This is Three Sides of the Coin, talking all things KISS. I want to rock and roll all night. You're listening to Three Sides of the Coin. Everybody, welcome back to what's going to be an absolute amazing episode of Three Sides of the Coin. And we've never introduced a show like that. In what 375 episodes? Five. Yeah. yeah. Three, this is 376. We've never done an intro like that. And more importantly, we're going to be so happy for Mark. This is Mark's baby. This is what he's been living for since he was 13 years old, people. Before that. Before that. Well, you know, we learn that you would listen to this man before going out and finding Playboy magazines when you were 13. <laughs> when in doubt, gonna whip it right out. So any, any, anyway, this, uh, you know, we, we don't really have any housekeeping to take care of. We're all still surviving. Um, we're all healthy so far. Oh, here, what I definitely would like to do, let's just do a quick shout out. Hoping Julian Gill is on the mend because yeah. Julian um, got hit with the virus. Just, just to let you know, I have talked to him on the phone within the last twenty-four hours. He's, he's, he's doing better. So anyway, he's shout home. out. He's you home. know, he's home. Just well, because there was a lot of misinformation out there. He's, and I'm, not, I'm not. Julian's a nice guy, and I know we, we mess with the cesspool and stuff but it has nothing to do with julian other than it's, yeah. it's right. his page as a person we we all get along just fine and and i uh did talk to him uh on the phone and we've been texting back and forth he's home he's doing doing better so yep good get deal. well and hopefully everybody else listeners and viewers out there you're staying safe and doing whatever you need to to not get sick um so this week, you know what? Let's turn the microphone over to Mark Cicchini. <laughs> oh, I don't think you should. I'll tell you why. Because you're <laughs> going to get enough of me over the next hour and a half. Well, and I think we should mention we're getting a lot of love for our, our latest episode where we go through the, the KISS tour and then uh, the Tommy Thayer uh, Q&A. Well, I wanted to talk to to our guest about Tommy Thayer because Tommy Thayer has worked with him closely. Right. And well, I, next time we'll actually have him on, we'll talk about Kiss. Yeah, he said he'd come back on, so yeah. that's always a, that's always a big plus. Well, yeah, especially because we only got to ask this guy two Kiss questions in basically 90 minutes. So. Someone else was running his gums about, uh, do you remember when? <laughs> <laughs> Look, I had to. <laughs> all right, all right. So let's just tell everybody. I mean, we land, we, Mark, hats off to Mark for making this happen. 
but we collectively is three sides of the coin. We landed the one, the only, the most intense man you're going to ever hear give an interview. What is it? Intensities, intensities? The Motor City yes. Madman the motor, himself. There you, come on, Mark. You've always wanted to introduce Ted Nugent. Do it. I, and, and, Do it. <laughs> look, the, the, the one, the old, look, the Motor City Madman, the Motor City, you know, everything, every, ex, look, it's fucking Ted Nugent. Uh, my, my, one of my heroes from childhood, he did not disappoint. Um, I have never look, laughed so hard during an interview, I kid you not, Tommy and I were rolling in laughter and tears. You think you've seen Mark go fanboy before? Please. Please, that's, that's nothing. And, and, and we're going to leave it in because before Mark joined us all, it was Ted, Tommy, and me. And we were giving Ted the complete early warning of what Mark is going to be like. And yeah, Ted was like, like, bring it on. I didn't bring it on. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, you don't know yet. You don't know. You know, that next that Ted, next Ted Nugent concert, you might not be permitted inside. Yeah, I told him you may want to start putting up pictures. <laughs> <laughs> he goes, oh, he's one of those. <laughs> no. Oh, my God. Ted Nugent, it's not just 10 minutes. It's not just 15 minutes. It's almost 90 minutes the Motor City I'm Madman. I'm gracious of him, though, too, because we were, like, almost an hour in, and we're like, Ted, is this cool? Like, fuck, I got another half hour, you know? Yeah. Oh, fuck. That's Mark, awesome. Mark, Mark yeah. when, when Ted said that, Mark actually went through another Kleenex. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Look, they got a workout. <laughs> did you, by the way, did you guys see Lisa's text just now? No. She asked me how many tissues I went through. <laughs> it's not tissues. It's not individual tissues, people. It's boxes of tissues this week. Boxes that Mark goes through. Oh, All right, let it roll. The Motor City Madman, Ted fucking Nugent. Want to get your official Three Sides of the Coin logo and Shocker tee? Now you can. We ship worldwide. Get yours online at shop.threesidesofthecoin.com. Nugent. Full time. How are you, sir? All right. Doing so, so I'm, I'm doing so damn good it's stupid in spite of this fucked up world all around us. Is, is this Michael, Mark, and Tommy? This is Michael. I'm adding Tommy in right now, and I will be adding Mark in in a second. But we're rolling. We're not, we're not live, but we are recording, so we can start yep. rolling. Tommy, meet Ted. Yeah. Hi, Ted. Tommy, greetings. Happy springtime. Same to you. I'm in uh, Minneapolis. Um, I enjoy you every time you go on the Joe Pag show. Yeah, the truth, logic, and common sense. It's really exciting stuff. <laughs> well, he lets you talk. Yeah, well, I got a lot of things to say. I'm alive, man. I'm so alive. <laughs> I like have a, a vapor trail everywhere I go. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. All right, so while, while, while I'm still working to get Mark online, let me warn you, and this is actually good, Mark is going to go big yeah. time fanboy on you. You you remember that 
that episode of Chris Farley and Paul McCartney? I do. I remember it well, yes. All right. Great stuff. So, so Mark is going to become Chris Farley when he gets on with you. I'm just warning you. Well, I'll make a wonderful Paul McCartney, absolutely. I'll be, <laughs> I'll be the Ed McMahon to the Johnny Carson of Mark. Nice. So by the time we're done, you're going to want to put photos of him outside of your concerts and say, don't let this guy in. One of those guys, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, I can handle anything. Mark, Mark will be just as comfy as can be. Be like an Uncle Ted campfire. Seriously, nice. you know, Mark, Mark is very cool. He knows his rock and roll inside and out, and he's he's an absolute huge fan of Ted Nugent. Well, then he yes. loves real music, and I love him back. And I love people who love real music, because nobody loves my music more than I do. <laughs> <laughs> well, we all grew up on you, so thank you for taking time to do this today. My pleasure. Anybody wants to talk to me about the music, man, I like to like to raise hell with it. I still love that stuff. In fact, I love it now more than ever, I think, at the old age of 71. Oh, my well, God. Yeah. The young age of 71, Ted. The young Yes, well, it, it, it's a real number, but you know I do defy gravity on an hourly basis. I'm having so much fun here. I'm really healthy. I'm cocked, locked, and ready to rock the Glock Doc on a day by day basis. So I take good care of myself. So the energy level is actually bigger and better than it's ever been. I'm a lucky, lucky guy, which is absolutely fantastic. All right, Mark, I am ready. All right, well Ted <laughs> is already here, and we've warned him about you. So Ted. Step back. Look, Here's Mark Chikini. F out is all I have to say. This is like Christmas morning for me. Well, Michael, Mark, and Tommy, you you don't have to warn me about jack shit. You, there's no <laughs> way you guys are going to surprise me or catch me off guard. So give it your best shot. Go, Mark. Okay. Go. I, 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 look, these are the words I've been waiting to say since I started doing these silly podcasts. Oh, Jesus. Ladies and gentlemen, yours, mine, and everyone's favorite uncle... My Uncle Freakin' Ted, welcome to Three Sides of the Coin, my friend. I appreciate um, that. Make it four sides of the coin. I'm proud to be here, and I feel welcome. I have a funny feeling I'm surrounded by real music lovers that love this kind of music, so we'll have a big uh, electronic campfire here. So, Ted, so I've not been to the Detroit show since the Scream Dream Tour. I've seen all the Whiplash Bashes everywhere, followed you ever. Kobo, Freedom Hill, Chrysler Arena, everywhere there was Ted, there was me. Boy, so, you, you know what you missed, but you know, I was, I was just going to say, because I do a lot of interviews and we talk a lot about the, the years, because there's been a lot of years, but I always celebrate that if you didn't see the Amboy Dukes or you didn't get around Detroit in 19, well, it's cool, before the Amboy Dukes, when my band, the Lourdes, we won the Michigan Battle of the Bands in 1963, and there is no way... Unless you've been to one of my concerts, there's no way a human being can grasp that the human species is capable of the flame-throwing, piss-and-vinegar energy and outrageous <laughs> firestorm of musical intensity that existed in Detroit as early as 60, 61, 62. And when we won the Battle of the Bands in 1963 with John Brake on lead vocals, who ended up in the Amboy Dukes later, and uh, Gregor Rama, uh, no, this is before Gregor Rama, and Pete Prim on bass, Tom Noel on drums, and John Finley on guitar, we played Shake a Tail Feather and High, he and High Heel Sneakers, and we opened up for the Supremes right next to the Motown Orchestra and the Mighty Funk Brothers. 
but there was a there was a firestorm of energy that people attribute to uh, the MC5 appropriately so. But yeah. if you miss if you miss that that baptismal eruption of a bunch of white kids trying to be Little Richard and Chuck Berry and Bo Diddley and, and try to channel the Howlin' Wolf and the Muddy Waters and certainly James Brown and Wilson Pickett and then the mighty Motown Funk Brothers, there was a firestorm that was quite intimidating back then. However, I jettisoned, Mark, what you just said. Even if you didn't get to see my ass till the 90s, even last year in 2019, it was the greatest tour of my life with Jason. Awesome, it's fine now. Jason Heartless, you saw Jason and Greg Smith, the rhythm section that every guitar player dreams of. If you missed the Amboy Dukes and the SRC and Dick Wagner and the Frost and the Rationals and, and Brownsville Station and the Amboy Dukes, if you missed that at the Grandy Ballroom in 67, 68, and 69, just by seeing one of my concerts today in this era, you did witness it because with Greg and Jason, it is as insane and, and musically um, compulsive and, and combustionable and ballistic. It's as intense today. In fact, I think even more so because we were young and dumb and we weren't playing real tight. We were, we were actually intimidated by the music we were playing because there was such competitive spirit in Detroit, which is why Kiss recorded that album in Detroit, which is why every band will tell you that if you can ignite a Detroit audience, you know you got the musical fire. But nowadays, with Greg and Jason, we're still playing Baby Please Don't Go, which I played in 1962. We still play that song, and it's like a bunch of horny teenagers in a garage with their first loud amplifiers. The, the spontaneity and the rawness of it today, I, and with all due respect for all those great bands out there, because I love them all. I love ZZ Top, and I love Cheap Trick, and I love Sammy Hagar, and I love Aerosmith. And I love uh, uh, all those bands out there. But I'm afraid you're on the phone with the only guy that still has flames coming out of his ass that loves the music just like a bunch of energized, exploratory youth. That's, well, that's what we do. And you saw it last year at Pine Knob on August 31st, my 6,576 concert. And it was as intense as the Lourdes in 1963. So you're a lucky son of a bitch. Oh, I, I, again, over and over and over. Never, never, ever missed that show. Really quick before we get to everything, Ted, here's how crazy. you don't, you. I don't know if you remember this or not, but last August, Jason used my snare drum for sound check that I I got I, I own Cliff Davies Scream Dream kit. I remember you that. Yes, that. I absolutely remember that. Yes. That's my drum. No um, kidding. Well, yes. that's, that's awesome. Then you have then you have a spiritual connection with the Nugent band. Oh, oh, let me let me t you know we had uh, we had Derek St. Holmes on a year or two ago. He's and, a monster. Uh, He's a classic Detroit animal. Oh, fucking A. Just insane. Insane. So I just wanted to let you know that, you know, I, I, I took my son to the Danger Zone thing a couple years ago last year. Uh, you know, I was back with Jason. Let me tell you, every everything about the, the, the Nuge camp is, is first class. It reminds me of the Kiss camp. First class all the way around. You know how to treat people. The the shows. I, I And I've said this, and I am on total record for this. I've seen 50-plus TED shows since I was, you know, in, since 1980, and I've never even seen a semi-weak Ted Nugent show. Not even no, close. No, no such thing. My, my worst concert 
is a stone-cold motherfucker. That's the worst I will ever do. My best concert is a stone-cold motherfucker. And it's because, what, you know, just the fact that you connect with Jason, my drummer, Jason Heartless, and Greg Smith, the greatest bass player in the world, what these guys, well, you witnessed it, it the, every song is the most important song. Every concert is the most important concert. Every, it, 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 it literally is the pulse of our aliveness, our, our, the pulse of our being. We love this shit. And I think it's important to note that, you know, I, I am a hunter. I, I, I return to the primal scream of real self-sufficiency. I kill my dinner with a sharp stick. You can't get more primal than that. <laughs> and and when, I, when I get done with the hunting season, I, I can't wait to get that bird land and scare people. I can't wait to find the uncharted passageways on that Gibson guitar neck, and Jason and Greg feel the same way about it. So it, it, we're, we're lucky in the, being clean and sober your whole life like I have been, and Greg and Jason, you, you, you have everything God gave you to put into that song, and we do. So uh, again, what you witnessed, if I wasn't in this band, I'd pay money to go see him every night anyway. Amen. But what you just said, I said to Gene Simmons, because you know this is that we're going to have to theme this back somewhat to, to Kiss. But I said that to Gene Simmons. I said, when I was growing up, I said, my, the, my three idols were number one, my father. But Gene, I said, you and Ted Nugent. And I said, you know why? Because all three of you guys told me how much cooler it was to be fucking clean and sober and, and you know, in charge of your life and being a good person and working hard and playing hard. That's what you guys, you know, and plus you guys got tons of chicks. So as a young rock and roller, that's what I really tuned myself to. Well, was yeah, somebody like you, it. somebody like Gene, who worked their ass off, played their ass off, and, and you know, you didn't have to worry about drooling all over yourselves. Hallelujah. You must have a great upbringing because god bless your father because for a kid to say that about his dad really shows an intelligent and 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 prioritization and having his ducks in a row as they say so congratulations congratulations to your dad by the way yeah well uh, Ted, if you ever need any concrete pour just call mark he does <laughs> that and, and he'll be happy to come over to your house and, well, and well, your my, my my heroes are 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 welders concrete guys and electricians and plumbers. Those are my heroes in life. <laughs> yeah. I would like to ask you, you were talking about the Supremes earlier. Now, I grew up in Minneapolis, uh, grew up on the 50s and 60s music and even Sinatra, that sort of thing. And I always bought pop singles when I was a kid. And the thing that I've seen change over the years is like you were saying that you were playing with the Supremes and all these different bands. Now it seems like so many of these festivals are all metal or they're all pop or they're all country. What's changed that you can't mix these different types of music together anymore, it seems like? Well, first of all, you can. You just identified that you do. I do. I mean, I still yeah. listen to James Brown live at the Apollo, and I think all your favorite rock and roll well, quite honestly, all your favorite music comes from those black heroes that invented this stuff, how Chuck Berry and Bo Diddley took Les Paul's new electric invention, and they immediately did the ultimate with it. It's not like they had to experiment. They immediately, you know, the first things they did on the electric guitar defined what still exists today. And I don't care if you're talking Eric Clapton or Eddie Van Halen or Billy Gibbons or Stevie Ray Vaughan or Ted Nugent or Sammy Hay. I don't care who you're talking about, Joe Perry, Brad Whitford, Derek St. Holmes. It all comes 
from Chuck Berry and Bo Diddley. And I don't mean kind of, sort of, you can hear the reference. No, it's blatant. It's glaring. And and to, to be born in that era, are you kidding me? So so my point is is that I don't like what they call country music. I I think it's sappy. I don't think it has energy. Um, I think some of it is cute and has tells some nice stories. And I love Toby Keith and I love Blake Shelton and I love some of those killer guitar players. But to me, country and pop music. And when you say pop, I mean when when my song "Journey to the Center of the Mind" was on the radio in '68. The, the hit singles of the era were Sunshine of Your Love, Born to be Wild, Hushed by Deep Purple, and Journey to the Center. So we're talking pop pop music is popular music. But, right. but there, there's a whole bunch of us like you that still listen to, I mean, I, I remember growing up listening to Mozart and Beethoven and, and, and hearing the crescendos and the orchestration, which is how I created songs like hibernation and migration and, and, and earth tones and some of these different instrumentals that I've created over the years. But I think it, the separation of the genres didn't come from the music lovers. It came from the business people, the, the, the promoters. They thought they could get maximum dollars. And I have no problem with getting maximum dollars. And if you're a big fan of Gene Simmons, you must know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it was a it was a business decision that they thought they could zero in on a specific demographic and get the maximum consumerism from that demographic if you kept the music in a certain way. But remember uh, the Dick Clark tours and what we called the yeah. Wild Goose tours back in Illinois and in and, and Minnesota and, and Michigan and Indiana and Ohio. Those tours had a lot of, uh, you know, he's my boyfriend, and a lot of pop, you know, teenage songs, actually Saturday morning cartoon music, which is pretty much what all music has turned into today, um, all, the, all the, the industry music. But I still believe that there's a bunch of us that like diverse music. I mean, Toby Keith is obviously gung-ho country, but he had me... Uh, go over to Iraq and Afghanistan with him, and he played my songs with me. He wanted to play Great White Buffalo and Stranglehold and Fred Bear. And That's he awesome. had me on his tour because he likes a diversity in music, and I love a diversity in music. There's some music I just don't think has the fire that I need, that I prefer. But I think that that separation of genres was a, a distinct business maneuver. And you got to admit, most people, when they go to and they pay hard money, to, for a musical event, there's a specific type of music that they like, and that's what yeah. they want to hear. So I have no problem with that. It's just, I, I like the diversity, I guess. And so growing up, it's like, you know, I'm not a huge country music fan, but I shoot over 200 bands a year. I do photography. I'm the head photographer for Rockfest and Country Fest. And I'm always figuring, if you've got a record contract, typically there's something good about you. And I've discovered so much new music over the years. So like as a kid listening to your early records, I, I put them right alongside anything else that was out at the time that was maybe more uh, poppy. You know, to me, it's, if it's a good song, it's a good song. I agree with that. I mean, you know, that's why I mentioned guys like, you know, the superheroes of, of country music like Toby and, and Blake, and there's so many others, obviously, and, there's, and most of those people are just gushing with talent. 
talent. They're really musically creative and authoritative, and I can't think of some of the gals' names, but some of those female singers are just soulful monsters. I, I'm not, you know, the song, um, What Doesn't Kill You Makes You Stronger, I don't even know the, the yeah. gals' name that sang it. But yeah. what an incredible talent. What an incredible piece of music that is. Um, can you just imagine my band performing that with guitars instead of the keyboards? It would be uh, way better. Yeah, so, so yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, I, I, w growing up, uh, I was hooked by all the four tops and the temptations and, and, and little Anthony and the, and the Imperials. I loved those pop songs because they were so soulful. They had such a, a, a fire, and of course, the god of gods, James Brown, and you mentioned Wilson Pickett and Sam and Dave, all those. I, I've often, I, always thought that, I always thought that I've got the feeling off of Weekend Warriors. We were so channeling uh, James Brown. In, you in think? That song. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I wish. I try. <laughs> but, but, I mean, I remember when I was a kid hearing that, because I, again, growing up in Detroit, very lucky to be just baptized with all the same stuff you heard, Dad, because you grew up here, too. I mean, well, you heard that some stuff. of those songs? I mean, you mentioned, I, I, I got the feeling like a dad and that. Oh, I God, mean, I love get, it. Get the hell out of here. Someday, when the when the the bulk of the industry gets past that I murder innocent animals for barbecue, <laughs> which they, or, or, or that I hate the drugs that they live by, that's really why the, the industry uh, has turned their back on me, because I, I really think getting stoned and drunk is a terrible thing to do. I think it's just a horrible thing to do for your family and yourself and your friends and everybody around you. Because when you're stoned and drunk, you're a liability. You're not in the asset column. So I've always been against that. And most of the industry is either stoned or drunk. <laughs> so they really, well, yeah, they really I, I brought that, that up. I've brought that up to so many people. I'm like, you know how fucking, because they talk about all this alternative, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, alternative? Ted didn't drink or fucking smoke in the 70s. Who was more fucking alternative than Bingo. Ted Nugent? <laughs> you know, I'm watching some of these Access TVs. I just did a wonderful uh, rock and roll road trip with Sammy Hager, and he's a great friend. And uh, he had to cut Played through on your all last the record, red the record tape. Before. Yeah, and he he had to cut through all the resistance. Oh, we can't do it with Nugent, man. He's like, he's like a hater. And Sammy goes, what are you talking about? Based on, well, did you hear what he said about the Native Americans? He didn't say that. They lied. The, the, right. the things they say about me are just... My point is, it doesn't bother me at all. It bothers me that there's such negativity and such hate. Hate bothers me on every level, not because it's towards me, because it doesn't affect me. I still have the greatest tours. I got the greatest band. I got the greatest family. I have the greatest hunting season. I'm rocking my balls off. So all the hate and all the lies doesn't bother me at all, except that it's so dishonest. They have these access TV shows of the... Uh, rock and roll legends and the greatest guitar players and the hits of the 70s and they never mention my name really yeah it's beyond, beyond it's comprehension. Just, it's just, it doesn't hurt my feelings it's just dishonest well and it's frustrating for your fans too you know I think so. I hear, I, but with this wonderful thing of social media i mean i'm on my facebook every day and what a great great a herd of animals are on my Facebook every day. Really smart, uh, passionate, uh, caring, uh, really intelligent and uh, cocky and funny people on my Facebook. But the people love my music and they know how much I love it. But 
think of the songs I've written. Think of the lyrics to Dog Eat Dog. Oh. Think, think of the, the, the grind of Stranglehold. Think, think, of, think of the patterns in Motor City Madhouse, in Hibernation, on the last album, where are you going to run to get away from yourself? These are, these are monster compositions, brilliant compositions, and no one will ever pay any attention to them in the industry because I murder Bambi. <laughs> <laughs> You know, Ted, one of the stories that I wanted to touch on, because, it, look, Mike and Mike and Tommy, my, my co-hosts here, um, you know, it's funny, Ted, real quick, Ted, we've, we've done a couple promo pictures for our, our podcast, and both times I'm wearing Ted Nugent t-shirts, and I've gotten people like, it's a KISS podcast, I'm like, and? <laughs> Amen. Good for you. God bless you, sir. I love defiance. <laughs> so so anyways in matter of fact you within the last couple of years i heard you on the mitch album show and i just want to put this out there because i'm sick of fucking saying it a million times this whole fucking bullshit story about shit in your pants not going to, i loved your response you're like that's the greatest story ever i wish i would have done that yes absolutely <laughs> i so, i did nothing to get out of the draft i went when i went in for my physical I was Superman. I literally, I could outrun, outjump, out, outshoot. I, I mean, literally, at, at the age of twenty, I, I was a, I was like Sugar Ray Leonard on steroids. I was one hundred percent muscle and sinew. I mean, you watched me jump off the, up. I jumped five feet straight up onto the drum riser, thousands of times. I went in for my physical for my draft, and I passed it with flying colors. I got my draft card. I didn't. I didn't dodge the draft. I was eligible to be drafted. They just didn't draft me. It was the end of the draft. I mean, you you can tell I didn't get drafted because I don't won the fucking war. Um, <laughs> but but yeah, I made I made up that story for High Times Magazine. Yes. And I've got testimony from all the members of the Amboy Dukes that it was just a story. It never happened. I've never, I've never shit my pants since I was one. <laughs> <laughs> so hey, again, see the, the haters, they constantly repeat that because they know how patriotic I am. And gentlemen, I'm, I'm sitting here with my dogs. I got Happy Sadie and Coco here at our Texas ranch. And I'm looking up on the wall, and just in my sight right now, I can see three purple hearts. Now, I didn't serve in the U.S. military, but five different heroes of the U.S. military tracked me down. This goes all the way back to the Vietnam era. Think of, think of the connection, the, the love of a military hero who would track down Ted Nugent and give me their purple heart and... The, the five different guys, five or six, I think, because some, some of my awards and stuff are up in Michigan. These soldiers, sailors, Marines, and airmen, none of them knew each other. It, it happened over a 20, 30-year period. Every time they gave me a Purple Heart, they forced me to take it. I resisted because I didn't earn it. But when a Marine tells you to take a Purple Heart, you just shut up and say, yes, sir. And... And they all said the same thing. I want you to have this because you fight for the things my buddies died for. Now, I didn't serve in the military because God had plans for me. And these are the plans that I'm fulfilling. 
And when Marcus Luttrell, the lone survivor Navy SEAL, calls me every month, I must have done something right. The, well, the, the love and the connection I have with the U.S. military is as good as you can get other than carrying your your brother's body off the battlefield. So the people who attack me and lie about me like that, again, it doesn't bother me personally. It's just heartbreaking that such rotten people live, and they're so consumed with hate and dishonesty. So good people know I didn't shit my pants, <laughs> and dumb people continue to think so. Well, you know, it also goes to the fact, you know, especially growing up here. As a matter of fact, I live almost right next to Selfridge, if you remember where uh, sure. Selfridge National Guard. I'm right over there near the water. Anyways, um, you know, all the years of your camp for kids, all, all the years of the camp for kids, all the years you've donated sustenance for the homeless people, you know, I, I that's the thing that just drives me up the fucking wall about it. Uh, number one, I you know, let's let's be honest. I'm a crazy Nuge fan because, you know, all the records and the tours and all that. But when I start hearing that other stuff, you know, it just pisses me because I know better. And I think the only reason you have to know better is if you pay attention to the truth. And the truth well, is all those the things that you just said. The people like the people like you that know me know the truth. The people that don't know me and that are weak and shallow. And I, I think if you hate Ted Nugent, you hate America. I think if you hate Ted Nugent, you think I'm a draft dodger and I diss the Native Americans or I'm a racist, you know, all the, all the standard lies from the left. If you really examine what the Democrats and the left stand for, I, I, I could summarize on, on, a, on hundreds of issues that they believe in that are all horrible. They're horrible for all humankind. They're horrible for the environment. They're horrible for quality of life. But it's summarized the people that hate me are typically liberals and Democrats who don't believe that America should have secure borders. Let me tell you the, the qualification to not want America to have secure borders. That would make you the enemy of America. Because only the enemies of America would not want our country to be secure. And those are the people that hate me. And I'm quite proud of that. Yeah, I, I, I tell you what, because on the show, look, we, we tried, look, it's not that I don't, obviously I do. But, you know, let, let's, let's, let's channel back here to, to, to the rock and Ma roll Ma stuff. Mark, Mark, Mark can, I, can I ask Ted at least one kiss question before all of our listeners say, Fuck you guys! This is a kids podcast. <laughs> what, Ted? What was the very first memory you have when you met Kiss for the first time? When and where was it, and what was well, the memory? Guess, well, you know, it was still—I uh, think it was still Ted Nugent and the Amboy Dukes. Um, uh, could, when was Kiss's first tour? Seventy-three, seventy-four. 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 Yeah, it was seventy-four. I was still using the name Ted Nugent and the Amboy Dukes, and I think it was K.J. Knight and Rob Rusk on bass. It might have been uh, uh, Rob Grange uh, already on bass. Very well he would have been bass. on 74. Grange would have been yeah. in the bass, because that was the tooth-banging choir. Yes, monster songs, monster band, monster bass player. What Unbelievable. Anyhow, 
Um, I remember, because I was into showmanship, you know, the music is so compelling that that's what made me, when I'm singing these songs about great white buffaloes and loaded for bear and tooth fang and claw, and I'm kind of channeling my, my nature boy, you know, uh, uh, the, the hunter, the aborigine, the, the, the Native American uh, spirit guy that I lived beyond the music and in the music. So I would, I ended up wearing a loincloth on stage because it felt natural. I ended up swinging out on a rope like Tarzan because that felt like that's what the music demanded. I ended up riding a buffalo on stage, a live pissed off buffalo, because it seemed organic to my music. So when I first saw Kiss, and I knew that the Stones had a 60-foot dildo on stage, and I knew that people were using pyro, and James Brown always had a show, and uh, Little Richard always had a show, set his piano on fire, and Jerry Lee Lewis always had a show. And and that always, it, 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 it magnified the intensity of the grinding, power-driving music. So I understood the showmanship perspective. I was deep in, I shot my bow and arrow, shot flaming arrows on stage, <laughs> completely insane. So when I first saw Kiss with those giant platform boots and the, and the gargoyle outfits and that makeup and the flames coming out of everything, I'm going, holy shit! I thought I was outrageous. These guys have, have taken it to a completely outrageous level, and I loved it, especially their pounding, you know, primal, real raw garage band music was so right down the alley of how I started and all of my favorite music. So I loved it. I just didn't understand how they could afford to put on those kinds of shows because we were still playing, you know, theater-sized places and maybe some small arenas. And I just thought it was the greatest thing I'd ever seen in my life. You know, I want to back that up real quick because, Ted, in the in the early 90s, I remember hearing you when you'd be on WRAF and stuff. Guys, this was when Kiss was not popular. Ted, is a, everything he just said, he said when Kiss was at their lowest in the early 80s. Ted was still supporting. So I want to say, I always want to say thank you for that because, you know, in 1981 and stuff, Kiss was kind of falling out of favor, but... Whenever somebody brought up Kiss, and I remember you calling Gene Simmons on the phone when you'd sit in, as you know, as you know, doing the the morning shows here in Detroit, sure. you were always supportive of Kiss. Always, never well, said a bad what, you word know, about. You know what it comes down to, and I think we can all agree on this: that the real quantifier, the real determination of a person's integrity, uh, it it one of the top things. Obviously, their honesty and their promptness when they when they show up on time, you know, but work ethic. I've always genuflected at the altar of work ethic because your work ethic will determine you being in the asset column for your family, your community, your country, your fellow man, ultimately the environment. And you cannot deny that KISS, starting with Gene and Paul and the guys, their work ethic, there's not many people on the planet that could have kept with the, kept up with those guys going through that makeup insanity every night before the gig and setting up all that stuff and playing the sweat factor in those outfits and just the fact that they 
hell, the Amboy Deuce did like 300, 350 concerts a year in the first late 60s, early 70s, and so did Kiss. So I started admiring their work ethic because to put that Kiss machine together is incredibly demanding, incredible work ethic, and really creative. So yeah, those are three attributes that you can identify with the James Browns and the and the Aerosmiths and the Cheap Tricks and the Rolling Stones and the Beatles and the Kinks and the Who and uh, the, all the greatest bands in the world starts with a work ethic. So how is it that you were able to see that, though, when so many of your other contemporaries seem to just dismiss them as a, a joke? Uh, you know, I guess, again, it's the way I was raised. Um, I mean, who didn't like Little Richard going berserk and jumping up on top of the piano? I mean, are you well, kidding yeah. me? So, yeah. so would, the people who, would the people who criticize Kicks, Kiss try to diss Little Richard because he should have just shut up and played the piano? I mean, that's just, there's a jealousy factor in mankind, and I'm afraid there's a real jealousy factor in the music world that... You can tell that Kiss is really making an impact. They're experiencing outrageous success in all different forms. And so I think uh, people were quick to be judgmental. And, yeah, that, that's another a bad way to go. Judgmentalism is not good for anybody. Well, and it seems like there's enough room out there in, in the music world to create what you want to create. I remember at the time reading an article where they were interviewing Eric Carmen from the Raspberries, and his first thought when he saw them was, if I have to do something like that to make it, I quit. And I, that just stuck with me as, as what a weak attitude. You know, well, you, you know, I guess you just have to examine the music of the raspberries to determine that differentiation. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a big fan of cartoon music. I I thought the Archies and I thought, you know, the, the, the monkeys and people like that. I mean, and again, they all had their certain attributes, especially the monkeys. They really came out of a dust storm. But yeah, yeah, there's a lot of jealousy in this industry. And I, I've always tried to err on the side of caution. Um, when the Beatles started playing softer stuff and more, you know, folky type stuff uh, that, that wasn't as energized and rock and roll as their earlier stuff. I mean, I, I preferred the, the harder stuff always. Same with the Stones. I mean, I love the Stones' harder stuff, um, but I also love the song Tell Me, you know, and, yeah. and, 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 and Play With Fire. So, yeah, I think there's a lot of jealousy out there, and I always, I can always tell when someone's putting their heart and soul into it, and I'm a big fan of heart and soul. Hey, Ted, speaking of, speaking of uh, like, like the Beatles and 60s music, I always loved your cover of, uh, uh, I want to tell you, uh, the Beatles song, the one George yeah, Harrison. Yeah, with Char Charlie Hune singing and, and uh, John Souter on bass and Cliff Davies on the drums. Thank you for that. Yeah, I, that was a song, that was a guitar riff that I just had to play. I mean, I played all the Beatles and Stones and Kink songs in my early bands in the Yardbirds. Everybody played all the Yardbirds songs. And so I always wanted to play some of that magic George Harrison guitar licks. And so we did. And I love the version of it. Yeah, thank you. Oh, it's incredible. You know, uh, I... I I, when I was with Tommy, our, one of our co-hosts, um, it was just speaking to you. I, I went to go see Kiss in Minneapolis uh, when, when I was with him. And as Tommy will tell you, I, I, we went to a couple of record stores, and I finally found a promo copy of the State of Shock picture disc in this record store. And I thought I won the freaking lottery. I was so excited. 
There's some great songs on that record, man. Oh, guys, uh, and again, I always I rave about Jason Heartless on drums and, and Greg Smith, my rhythm section for all these years. But boy, gentlemen, think of who I have collaborated with on my shoulders all these years. Uh, the, the musicians that I've been so privileged and honored to, 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 to stand next to. My, my drummers and my bass players and my rhythm guitar players are the best that ever walked the earth. So I'm a lucky, lucky guy. So all those old albums, you know, and I started falling out of favor <laughs> because I murder Bambi and because I, I would call a spade a spade and I, I really celebrated clean and sober while condemning the irresponsibility and the criminality and the the tragedy of, of comfortably numbness. Um, and that's why I fell out of favor with uh, a huge rock and roll fan base that happens to be comfortably numb. And, but there's a lot of comfortably numb guys out there that still love my music. God bless them all. But I, I really fell out of favor because I wouldn't play that rock and roll, you know, puppet game. I'm not, I'm not a status quo guy. I'm not going to toe the line because don't don't diss the, the stoners because they won't buy your records anymore. Well, I've got to diss the stoners because whenever there's a family crying around a gravesite, it's because there was a stoner involved. <laughs> well, and, and I'd rather be told the truth, you know, but I wanted to ask you, since you're such an incredible musician, what makes it, because we hear these people, you know, fans and, and go back and forth and debate online all the time, and, you know, music is subjective, but in your mind, what makes a great guitar player? And spirit, um, obviously, mechanical dexterity is a big factor. You look at a guy like Eddie Van Halen and Stevie Ray Vaughan and Jimi Hendrix, and they're literally acrobats on their instrument, but they also are lyrical. Um, you know, there's so many killer guitar players. I've been so lucky to jam with the best of the best. I mean, you take a guy like Derek St. Holmes, who's never mentioned when they talk about the world's greatest guitar players, and he is one of the world's greatest guitar players. If you go see Derek St. Holmes' solo performance, I mean, he's an absolute, he's in the top 1% of guitar players that roam the earth. But my favorite guitar players have always been Chuck Berry, Bo Diddley, Lonnie Mack, Dwayne Eddy, uh, certainly the masters, you know, Beck and Clapton and Page and, 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 and certainly Keith Richards and Brian Jones and George Harrison. I mean, I could go on and list my favorite 2,000 guitar players because I love them all. But it's so subjective because music is so intricate and a lot of times people will name their favorite guitar player because that's the guitar player on a specific song that represents a moment in that person's life. There's a soundtrack right. to the mile markers of our lives. And, uh, I, and, and I think that the, the greatest music in the world is, is played on a guitar because it's so expressive. On a keyboard, I know they make synthesizers that you can bend notes and have semitones. But when you listen to a Stevie Ray Vaughan or you listen to the solo on Journey to the Center of the Mind that I played when I was 19 years old, and it, it moans, it, it's, it's compelling. Paul Schaefer, when I jammed with the uh, uh, Letterman Band on a number of occasions, uh, Paul came up when I first got on the show, I guess it was, I don't know, 76, maybe 77, 
and he came up and hugged me. And he said, that opening guitar note on the guitar solo of Journey to the Center of the Mind is the greatest note in the history of music because it was a, it, it was a whining, crying semitone that was heading for an A note that I never quite got there in the great tradition of Freddie King and Albert King and B.B. King and ultimately Stevie Ray Vaughan and guys like Billy Gibbons and all the great blues players. And uh, that was the greatest compliment I've ever given, because Paul Schaefer shits music. I mean, the guy is music. I don't even know if he's a human. I think he's from Planet Music. And when he <laughs> gave me when he gave me that compliment, I was really, really humbled by that. But he has a point, because I was so driven. I played my guitar all the time. Do I say played? I still play my guitar all the time. And I'm finding notes that are so expressive. A lot of them are against the law. I don't think God has even authorized a lot of the notes I use these days because they're, they're like, they're not quite a note. They're, they're going for a note that I might not go for. Or I might go beyond the note. So it's very expressive. So I love all the, you know, I've jammed with Eddie, with Eddie Van Halen and Stevie Ray Vaughan and and BB King and 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 and, and, and all the all the greats. So it's Billy Gibbons and I mean I could go on and on. I've gone on stage with Aerosmith and Hart and and so many. Brian May, I've jammed with Brian May and I mean my God, the the adventure musically available with with killer guitar players like that is it's gentlemen it's literally i know you you love listening to it and you really you grasp the dynamo that is taking place but for those of us that are executing it it's literally out of body you, your feet are not on the ground there's no world like jimmy hendrix said in the one song there ain't no life nowhere well you're you're you if you are deep in the music like we get you're gone yeah, there's no world. There's no gravity. There's no atmosphere. It's your. You are the notes you're playing. It's like a samurai musical experience. And those of us that attain it and aspire to it and work at it and accomplish it, boy, it's it's a magical, magical thing. And I and I know that it's it's a. Uh, are contagious. I know you guys listening feel it too, and you can tell when we are feeling it. Those grimaces on our faces, those aren't manufacturers. They're, you can't not look like that when you're playing the notes that we play. So I'm glad that there's guys like you that love the music. And if you go to my Facebook, lots and lots of people understand that out-of-body musical experience, and, and that is so rewarding to the musicians who work at that and and over the years of practice and training and, and, and pursuit of uncharted musical territory, it means the world to us. So thank you for hey, that. Ted, I got a quick question about now, I one of the first times when you played a, a stadium with KISS, that would have been out in, was that the Anaheim? Yeah, we played so, Anaheim when the PA went out, and I climbed up on the PA until it started back on. Yes, that was a historical moment. That was that. was seventy six. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Well, I'm because I, you know, you did a few tours of duty with Kiss. Uh, so I want to know what you thought. You know, just in general, because in 1976, you you know, you played Anaheim Stadium, and then like in 1986 or so, or so, you were you were doing some shows or late 80s with Kiss, and then you did the 2000, you know. Fair, there, the farewell with with Ace and Peter. Um, each one of those, 
you know, lineups. I, mean, I know the first one and the last one are the same lineups, but they they were cha- they changed as people. How did you, did you interact much with? You know, the guys in 76, did you interact much during the late 80s? And did you interact much with the uh, with the guys in the, uh, you know, on the farewell tour? And what were your basic thoughts around that sort those sort of gigs? You know, my my gregarious spirit comes in spurts on the road (laughs) because my gregarious spirit during those years I was single spurted towards the female element. Um, And boy, it was I spurting. Uh, <laughs> oh no no no! I think Mark is spurting. I'll tell you, it, it, I, that's a whole other podcast. That would be a Ted Nugent podcast. Anyhow, you know, I, I would I would always make it a point to meet the bands that I I, I worked with. I mean, in those years. Um, not just Kiss, but my opening acts were ACDC and Def Leppard yep. and Foreigner and Journey and Van Halen um, and ZZ Top uh, and, 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 and Heart. And, I mean, just the greatest bands in the world opened up for me all the time. I mean, uh, uh, Rush would open up for that was still uh, Ted Nugent and the Amboy Dukes. And this incredible Canadian trio named Rush would open up my shows for me. And so I, being a music crazy music fan myself i would always want to pay attention to those acts and then introduce myself and hang out uh and and oftentimes there would be meaningful dialogue and we'd talk music and bullshit and and have a good you know mano a mano uh i hang out backstage but this is where this is where my my heartbreak of substance abuse just continually expanded because I'd want to have a nice conversation with Bon Scott or Keith Moon or Keith Richards. I could name so many guys. You couldn't even talk to them. They're, they couldn't form a sentence. In they, the early they, 80s, someone asked you about Ace Frehley, and that's what you said. You said he yeah, seems was, like he'd be good. but Because I want, he was a great player and a nice guy. And even when he got clean and sober, we had a great relationship, and I have great admiration for him now. I consider him a friend. But it's so such a letdown when you're so in love with the music, and here's a musical guy that just blew your brains out with this killer performance, and I wanted to talk music, and a lot of the guys couldn't talk. They were just drooling and puking and stumbling and making you know wounded puppy noises, and what the fuck? Uh, and it was such a heartbreak to me. I would, God damn it, that... You should stay clean and sober so we can at least talk about this great guitar tone you had. But but there were also times with Kiss where Gene and Paul and I and and, and all the guys, we'd we'd hang out a little bit. But there's such demands, especially with Kiss, their preparation to get on stage with the costumes and the makeup is so demanding. And this was before backstage, you know, Danger Zone and meet and greet stuff where people would pay a premium to come hang out with the band. That wasn't going on in those days. Um, and I don't even know how they were able to do it. They got to get there four hours before the concert just to start getting ready and meet all the people nowadays. Um, back then, it was so hyper-energetic, and I was so deep into the chicks that I, I would forfeit the opportunity to go say hello to the band to go uh, meet the girls. <laughs> hey Ted, was, uh, Ted, Ted, quick question. 
because I want to make sure we don't uh, run out of time before you get to plug what you want. How much time do you have available yet? How long can I'm we keep good talking? I'm you guys. I mean, it's about, it's about 5.20 here in Texas. I'm good for another 30 minutes or so. Okay. Awesome. All right. Awesome. All right. Back to you, Mark. Uh, you know, <laughs> there's just one story I want to I want to share with Ted that, no, because this is, this is uh, one of the funniest things that ever happened to me. I was 13 in 1978, and all I wanted to do all the time that entire summer was listen to Double Live Gonzo. So much so. This is before Walkmans. I didn't own a fucking Walkman. You didn't and want to I, look you know, at I'd, a Playboy I'd, magazine. You'd rather listen to oh, Ted no, Nugent. I just wanted to listen to. Te- I just wanted to listen to Double Live Gonzo. Nothing else in the summer of '78, and I wanted to listen to it fucking on ten. So this is where the story comes in. So I, I, I didn't have a Walkman, and I had to cut the grass. So I put my fucking stereo speakers out my window, and I made the mistake. Although it, now it was funnier than hell, but at the time it wasn't. Of putting on, you know, I think it's side, whatever, side, whatever, double live guns. With Wang Dang opens the, the thing and, you know, he does the whole speech of, anyways. So, yeah, I go out, I start the lawnmower so I can hear the fucking stereo over the lawnmower. Start cutting the grass. Wang Dang breaks out. I'm loving life until my neighbor comes across the street to talk to my mother. <laughs> to know who what this maniac is playing over the fucking out his bedroom window that he can hear over the lawnmower. Uh, didn't go over very well, especially the uh, the Nashville pussy part. Um, very funny. Fortunately, I my mom was super cool about it, and I didn't get in any trouble, but. <laughs> that that story lived on in infamy uh, in well, my. Well, there's, uh, a, there's a million stories in the Naked City, and most of them have to do with uh, the Double Live Gonzo album and my Wang Dang Sweet Poon Tang rant. Um, it, it, the the fury and the anger <laughs> that it created in parents across the country, and I I got to tell you, you guys, you haven't lived till you visit my Facebook and hear the unsolicited testimonials that are not unlike that story, Mark, that, that, that these people would, you know, nowadays, now, now those kids are 50 years old. Um, uh, and, and they would play that double live gonzo with, if you want to get mellow, turn around, get the fuck out of here and all that beautiful street slang ballerina maneuvers of mine. And, and their parents hated me. And then in, in thousands and thousands of examples that I've just witnessed, not just on Facebook, but also just walking the not-so-mean streets of this country where people come up to me and tell me the story about their parents forbid them to go to my concert and thought I was the worst influence in the world, until their parents started hearing me in interviews talking about conservation the importance of being clean and sober. And even though I would juice it up, because I'm a Detroit guy, I talk street slang. I talk I talk real, you know, down-to-earth, shit-kicker, motherfucker language. And they would get past that, and they'd realize that, that there's never been a more positive, beneficial influence on the youth of America in the history of rock and roll better than me. And they, they finally figured out that all this, all the slang and all the street vulgarity was meaningless because the real message was be the best that you can be, be right. clean and sober, and, and, and put your heart and soul into everything you do so you're an asset for your family, so you benefit 
your family. The better that you are, the better you will serve your family, your neighborhood, your well, country. Like so the there's song a said, lot of stories like that. Working hard, playing hard. I, what a song. What a great, we're playing that song this summer. A man started out living in a cave, felt right at home, nobody's slave. All he wanted was to be left alone. All he wanted was a happy home. Now, um, now it's my turn to show my stuff. It's sometimes fun. It's sometimes rough. I'm working hard to earn my way, but lucky me, my work is play. play. Working hard, playing hard helps me get through each day and night. Working hard, playing hard makes everything all right. Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> what That's a masterpiece. That's a masterpiece. That's the battle cry soundtrack for the American dream. Well, and I actually follow you on Facebook and watch your videos. I think they're very, very entertaining. And I've always been a fan. I'm just not mental like Mark. Um, <laughs> I, I, would, I would like to know, though, um, do you think, because we're all Mid Midwesters, Westerners, you know, Mark's from Michigan and I'm from Minneapolis. Michael's from Minneapolis. Do you think the work ethic is different in the Midwest? And do you think that that also plays into who you are as a person and the, the, uh, amount of people that gravitate towards you because we're Midwesterners? No question. In fact, I would say that uh, the, the elements of a human personality, uh, as, I, as I celebrated just a short while ago, is work ethic. And I think it's a work ethic that your parents instill in you. And once again, I use the term asset. At the end of the day, how you conducted yourself was it an asset to your family or was it a liability to your family? And that's where the clean and sober mantra comes in. That's where, you know, law and order, my, my alignment with law enforcement and my, my adoration and, and respect for the military. Uh, yeah, quality of life comes from uh, organ, or, and having an organized life and having an organized life and apps to include an alarm clock and taking care of business. If you could have seen, and I'm sure you're aware of this because you've heard so many of my interviews, the amount of hours that the Amboy Dukes practiced and the Lords before that, which is why we won the Battle of the Bands in Michigan in 1963. Hell, I was, was I 13 years old or some damn thing? And the other guys in the band were 14 and 15. And this was during the uh, Billy Lee and the Rivieras that turned into Mitch Ryder and the Detroit Wheels heyday. I got to tell you, I think all quality of life begins with work ethic. Because if you work hard before you play hard, you are accomplishing the big three for happiness. The big three for happiness is earning your own way. When you go to bed at night, if you're not happy, it's probably because you didn't earn your own way. You didn't sweat. You didn't accomplish anything. Number two for quality of life is living within your means. If you have student debt, you can't drink fucking Starbucks. That's a rich man's coffee. You understand? And number, number three, more important right now in March of 2020. So number one, earn your own way. Number two, live within your means. Number three, March 2020 during COVID-19, save for a rainy day. You're supposed to save your money. You're supposed to have a, a what do they call it, a nest egg. You're supposed to have uh, some backup cash 
in case you hurt yourself or your or your widgets aren't selling this week. I mean, come on. This, this That last paragraph I just shared with you on your podcast should be a curriculum in America from, from preschool to graduate of law school. But what I just said is probably never even uttered in the halls of so-called higher learning in the United States of America, which is why we got a bunch of idiots running around buying toilet paper by the truckload. Well, do you think that some of it, though, is there's also a certain amount of musicians, I mean, it could be any trade, that just think that once they hit some fame or success, it's never going to end? Absolutely. I've seen, in fact, I watched Sammy Hager interview uh, Duff uh, from Guns N' Roses. I can't think of his full name. but the, the bass player. Yeah, um, and he talked about uh, how he got spoiled and how he about killed himself with drugs and alcohol, and he was about to die, and luckily they saved his life and he learned his lesson. But I didn't have to almost die to learn my lesson, even though there were a couple times I almost died, but not because I was drunk or stoned, because I was wrestling Gemsbach. But anyhow, um, yes, there's a lot of spoiled out there. I mean... You, you even take the the poster boy of substance abuse, my hero Keith Richards. <laughs> what a superman! <laughs> Stop and think of their work ethic. Stop and think of how they took all this black music from America. The first Stones and Beatles and Yardbirds albums—they all had kinks. They all had, kink, they all had uh, Chuck Berry and Bo Diddley and Motown songs. Yeah, yeah. they they learned. They had they they worshipped James Brown. And what was he was the hardest working man in show business. So those black heroes, they established a musical work ethic that I know drives all my fellow rockers, my from from Stephen Tyler and Joe Perry and all the guys in Aerosmith and all the guys in Grand Funk Railroad and all the guys in ZZ Top and in my buddy Sammy Hagar. I mean, I could go on and name all the hardest working bands in the world. And we learned that from the hardest working man in show business, James Brown. And you can't. You cannot create killer music without a work ethic. And I know, I remember when uh, Guns N' Roses opened up for me at the Santa Monica uh, uh, gig back in, I uh, think it was Little Miss Dangerous, maybe 84 or 85. And they, I don't think they were, you know, completely stoned yet. <laughs> there was a little bit of stumbling going on that night. But boy, they rocked their balls off. And you can't rock your balls off unless you practice like maniacs for months and months and years and years. So work ethic is the foundation of happiness. I'm convinced of it, in, including in the crazy well, you, world of rock and just, roll. What you just said about James Brown, he was notoriously tough on his rhythm section. I mean, because yes. obviously I'm a drummer tech. He, he was like, they, no one even wanted, I've, I've read so much on the, on the flames and stuff, and he'd just shoot you a look. If you were even minutely off on that beat, you were gonna. You were gonna hear about it. You're gonna you know, get you fine. Yeah. <laughs> well, so then let's talk about new music and you making music. What? How do you feel about the current climate? I, you know, we've talked about this many times. How some people, even Gene Simmons, has come out and said that the, you know, music industry is dead, and why? Why continue to record music? And for me, you know, Cheap Trick, one of my favorite bands that you mentioned earlier, they put out two, actually three records in the last two years, one of them being a Christmas record, but the two regular albums are among my favorites. I still love getting new music and discovering new bands. What do you say to that? Well, 
I say thank God there's guys like you out there. I mean, my last record, The Music Made Me Do It, is just wall-to-wall killer songs and killer performances by Jason and Greg and, and the production by Michael uh, of Brownsville Station. Michael. Michael, Michael uh, yeah, it, it, so, yeah, there, there's... Let's put it this way. I'm 71. I'm going on the road if we get past this pandemic by July and August. My greatest tour ever. Stop and think of these words. You, you have to squint and furrow your brow and, and, and be very suspicious of me when I tell you that my 2019 tour was the best tour of my life. If every night I was happier than I've ever been. What Jason and Greg did, the, the songs we perform, even though I, I, I kill myself trying to determine two hours worth of song choices because I have so many of my favorites, but they're still real music lovers out there. I look in the audience every night, and these people love that music and the work ethic that produced it. They love the uninhibitedness and the musical authority, the musical celebration and the lineage and the history. And, and it's still alive and well. That's the good. The bad and ugly is what Gene said. There is no industry, unless you're playing Saturday morning cartoon pop music that they call country now, um, you you ain't got jack squat. You're not going to sell squat. I remember I saw where Slash had a record on. I think it was last year while we were touring, and I think it was a number. It went to number one and it sold like twenty six thousand copies. Good grief! The Amboy Duke sold thirty six thousand copies, and we never were on the charts. <laughs> um, my albums. I mean, I've sold forty million albums. I know that uh, that Guns and Roses. They probably sold more than that. I think their one record sold that many. But those of us that have sold tens of millions of records, even ZZ Top puts out a killer new record. Nothing. The radio won't. Gentlemen, let me summarize it like this. Up until the the mid to late nine, right after the damn Yankees, which was awesome. Right after the damn Yankees, and there was no vinyl anymore. It was just uh, CDs and stuff. Prior to that, the band loved the music. The roadies loved the music. The record store owner loved the music. The gal behind the cash register at the music store loved the music. The guy that drove the truck and brought the records to the store, he loved the music. The distributor loved the music. The people who worked at the distributor and stuck the albums on racks and put them in the trucks, they loved the music. The president of the label loved the music. The art department loved everybody. When I was on Epic Records, everybody from from the, the, the road crew to the president of, of, of Columbia Rec, CBS Records, everybody would sit around and they'd talk about the song. they go, that's a great solo. What a great lyric. Oh, that's a great change. Wow, that's a, that caught me off guard. Well, what a great passage that was. What a great unison bass and guitar like that. They knew the music. They loved the music. Nowadays, there's just, there's just uh, numbers, guys. They want to know if you can get the right tempo with the right storyline, with the right sound and the right musical pad, even if it's not real musicians, and they're just interested in, in numbers instead of the music. So I'm so happy. I was born in Detroit in 1948 
right after Les Paul electrified the guitar. Chuck and Bo showed us what to do. Little Richard and Jerry Lee Lewis showed how outrageous people could be musically. And the Stones and the Beatles and the Kinks and the Who, they translated and, and captured that black musical authority from America and regurgitated it and made it hip and exciting. And it went on from there. But in, in 2020, if I get on the road in July and August, I promise you, with my guitar tone today, with what my Birdlands deliver today, what my crew sets up, what what Jason and Greg put into it, the sound of their instruments, the, the dedication to the songs, and the, the energy and passion of those people in the audience, this year... The, it, in 2020, this will be the Ted Nugent greatest shit kicker motherfucking all American soundtrack tour of my life. I guarantee well, it. I Ted, hope Ted, that you Ted, do because Ted. I'm going to come up to I'll, I'll come up to Superior to see you your first gig. Ted, Ted, let me ask you something. Back in 1974, did you ever have the wildest dream or imagination that you'd still be doing this in 2020? You know. If you would have asked me, then I would have said, of course I will be. Um, and, it, I, I, you know, you'll never, you know, I don't think anybody's done more interviews than I have. I mean, Mark, wouldn't you say I've, I've done more interviews than any artist ever? Oh, uh, for I'm sure. A, I do more radio. I love talking about the music. If somebody wants to talk about my music, I like talking about my music more than any music. Um, you'll never find an interview where I ever use the term rock star. You'll never hear any interview or any words that can't, ever came out of my mouth. Ever. Yeah, I always wanted to be a rock star. I didn't, there was no such thing as a rock star. There's no word. There's no such word. I wanted to make music. I wanted to get these sounds out of these guitars and get a drum beat and a, and a grinding bass like, like uh, I, I learned from Chuck Berry and Bo Diddley. Those are the only, and Little Richard, for God's sakes, and Jerry Lee Lewis. The energy, I wanted to... I wanted my version of that energy to be tangible. So I think, and I know some guys that want to be a rock star, like, you know, John Bon Jovi. God bless him. I mean, he's a gazillionaire. In all his interviews, he said he wanted to be a rock star. And God bless him, he did it. But And I love his music, and I love Richie's playing, and I love his band. I think he's got world-class musicians. But I think he was... He was already in a musical uh, mode right after uh, She's My Little Runaway, right after he opened up a bunch of shows for me, that he he turned into a numbers guy. And I'm, again, I'm not knocking it. God bless him. He's a billionaire, and he's a nice man, I guess. Um, but that's not what motivated me. For example, I'm not making anywhere near the money now that I did back in the 70s. Who? gives a shit i mean how much <laughs> land do how much land do i need how many guns could i possibly need i mean I'll, you know i take the whole hunting season off as it is and i have since about 1979 um so it's a different world out here now but there's always going to be a core of real music lovers and yeah. those are the people that buy tickets to our concerts and i love them more than i love life itself well, I tell you what, you know, one of the, I always, you know, one of the, you're talking about, you put out Shut Up and Jam, and that record was such a nice return, plus Sammy sings a song, Derek sings a song, that, that title track, 
I got to admit, I was really bummed that radio didn't pick that up Isn't because that is that yeah, is what everything you- what you just talked about. Because look, look, we're, we're going to stay away from all the politics stuff. But when you go to see Ted, this last show was a this last tour. Ted, I don't think you talked to the audience more in fucking five minutes. It was song, 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 song. It was fucking, and you just fucking brutalized us. It was great. And then hearing stuff like, I, I know you did Good Friends and a Bottle of Wine. And was it Thousand Knives you brought? I know you brought up something else from Office of... Uh... Yeah, we played A Thousand Knives. What a great lick. I love oh. it. And inside of Good Friends and a Bottle of Wine, I play Homebound. Yes. And, uh, and uh, uh, Free Flight the instrumentals, and uh, yeah, yeah, there's so many songs. I have so many killer songs. It's hard to pick two hours worth. Last year, I, I had a couple friends on the East Coast that know, you know, I'm a big Nugeaholic, and, and I'm like, just go. Both of them said, I, I cannot believe I didn't see this guy before. I'm going any other time. I, a, a couple really good friends of mine. Well, that's great. Well, I hear I hear that all the time on on Facebook, and what a great campfire that is, boy! What a great communication network that Facebook is. So, yeah, I hear that all the time, and nobody appreciates it more than I do. But you know, I, I what Jason and Greg and I do, like I said, we every every gig is the most important gig in our lives. Every time we get to ready to attack that stage, and the stones. Street fighting man is on, and I'm I got that Birdland ready to unleash that motherfucker. Uh, when people people can tell that we love the music that they love, and I think that kind of passion is is getting more rare all the time. And it's well, really I tell you, as somebody down. as somebody who grew up a huge fan of yours, this current band, and I've said this to Jason's face many times. Look, you've had everyone from Carmine Peace to Tommy Aldridge playing drums for you. Yes. And and but I'm t- I even said this to Jason. I'm like nobody captures Cliff's original feel like you do, and it's so nice to see a musician of his age get it. He yeah, fucking gets it. Yeah, what a, what a great it. drummer Cliff Davies oh, was. Insane. By God, God rest his soul, huh? Oh yeah. Ted, so, what what's in your career, music wise? What is your greatest achievement to you at this point, and what was your biggest disappointment? Well. My biggest achievement is that I'm still here and I'm still all all crazy for the music. That's quite an achievement. Yeah. I mean, if anybody should be burnt out, it should be me. <laughs> but because of the intensity that I attack every gig. But because of my hunting lifestyle, it is such a cleanser. Uh, nature as healer, it it so fortifies not just you physically and mentally, but spiritually. And I've said in so many interviews, I'm sure, Mark, you can pick out 5,000 interviews where I've said this, but I so return to the primal goo when I, like every day of my life, I got this beautiful ranch in Texas and in Michigan, I got this beautiful farm and swamp. And when I get out there with the dogs, even if I'm not hunting, I mean, I'm just working on fences and feeders, and I'm putting in food plots and growing crops and working on tractors, and I can't believe I have any fingers left, all the wrenching I do on my trucks. <laughs> but I so thoroughly, I so completely escape the music that when I'm done with the escape, when I'm done, when I come in from the swamp or I drag in a deer or I just, I shot my bow, I shoot my bow, I should probably shoot 100 arrows every day. I am so removed from the music 
that I, I, I don't expect you guys to understand what I'm about to say, but if anybody can, you can. When I come in from my outdoor stuff, it's like the 12-year-old kid with his guitar trying to learn Johnny B. Good. It's, I grab that fucking bird land, and it, it screams, and I play shit, and I go, what the fuck lick is that? That's a killer fucking lick. It is, <laughs> it is as raw and pure every day. And I know there's a lot of people, oh, that's not possible. Well, it, it probably isn't, but I, I, I pull off the impossible. My biggest accomplishment is that somehow I got lucky slash smart to escape the music that all those dead guys use drugs and alcohol to escape it. I, that's what they were doing. That's what Jimmy was doing. That's what Bon Scott was doing. That's so that's your separation? I, Oh, it, I am so. I it. I use the term primal. It, what I my life outside of the music, and quite honestly, the music is as primal as anything. <laughs> but, but my my dirty hands, earthly farming, ranching, hunting, gutting, skinning, butchering, planting, you know, work in the earth. I mean, I, I've planted tens of thousands of trees. And I know that might not mean much to somebody listening right now, but when you do that, you you feel a bond with the earth and the pulse of the earth that gives you life. And that venison that came out of the forest that I planted, I planted that fucking forest. And that deer came out of that forest and I shot him. It was a gift because I gave the deer life. And the deer gave me life. So when I get past that aboriginal purity, I, want, I grab that guitar and I want to make the girls dance naked. And, <laughs> and, and so I, my biggest accomplishment is that I've had a foot firmly in the, the primal goo of aboriginal earthliness. And the other foot is rock solid downtown Detroit fucking city, loud, obnoxious, outrageous, noise making, feeding back Gibson Birdland from Kalamazoo, Michigan. That's my greatest accomplishment that I can be down to earth and absolutely unleashed. So, and, and with that accomplishment comes the happiness of my family because I'm a working son of a bitch. My wife is happy, my brothers, my sister, my sons, my daughters, my grandkids, everybody in my greatest accomplishment is being an asset to my family and my fellow man and the earth because of my 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 dichotomy of primal scream earthliness and primal scream loud, obnoxious, outrageous rhythm and blues rock and roll. My biggest disappointment is that I'm too trusting. And I let these managers and accountants and attorneys buttfuck me over and over and over again to the tune of tens of millions of dollars that I earned. I got the sweat and the broken knees to prove it. And these motherfuckers ripped me off and they did it to 
everybody. That's what happened to Chuck Berry. That's what happened to Aerosmith. That's what happened to ACDC. It's what happens to everybody. Because these motherfuckers will earn you $20 million. They'll take their percentage, and they could give a rat's ass when all the expenses are done if you have anything left at all. Right. And is, has that changed? Yes. <laughs> yes. I've got a guy named Doug Baker who came to save my ass around 1980, I think in the early 80s, when he found out what Lieber and Krebs and these attorneys, this Bob Weed and these ripoff artists were doing to me. And he goes, God damn, you're making lots of money, but they're taking it all. They're, you know, in other words, they take their percentage off the top, and then they don't give a shit what the road manager does. Everybody gets paid. Everybody gets per diems. They get the hotels. They got the trucks. They got the buses. They got the sound. They got the lights. And when it's all said and done, out of that $20 million, Ted gets a couple hundred grand. Right. And yeah, Doug, that... Bank, Doug Banker changed that. Now I get what I'm supposed to get. That's got to be frustrating. And and the thing is, is it's like, like you said, it happens to everybody. Do you think that also leads to some of the people like, unless I misunderstood what you're saying earlier about accomplishment, because you have all of these other things that you enjoy doing, whether it be working on your farm or hunting or all the things that you do, that time away keeps you more hungry for music. And some of your contemporaries don't have that getaway. So they get so absorbed into the lifestyle that they start using drugs and alcohol to escape it when they just need a hobby. Well, there's no question. I mean, I've had great conversations. I mean, Bon Scott, laughed at me because I wouldn't drink his whiskey, and I told him he was going to die. I said, this is going to kill you. I told Keith Moon he was going to die. I told Jimmy Hendrix he was going to die. I told John Belushi he was going to die. <laughs> I mean, I, 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 enough already. Don't, I mean, don't, don't tell yes. us we're going to die, please. <laughs> I, hope, yeah. I hope you're not, but you know what? Uh, you, you, only a fool budgets poison. Only I'm fool. Only fools go, I made this amount of money, I got to budget some poison. I think I'll, I'll take 20% for poison. Um, yeah, I think it's changed. I, you know, I, I, I kind of have fun with uh, John Bon Jovi, but he got smart early on. He made sure he got his money um, because yeah. he, was more, he was more of a numbers man. But when I came on the scene, that was 30 years before guys who had learned those lessons. And it was the I wild well, I had never run into dishonesty before. I thought when a guy showed you the money you're making um, that he's a manager. I thought that was his job to manage it so that I managed to get some of it. <laughs> I thought that was yeah. what a man. He was man Most of the managers back then were managing so that they got their amount. They could give a shit about anybody else. But with a great guy like Doug Bank, who was just a, a, a soulmate, a, a professional, one of the most respected managers in the industry, he made sure that um, I got my just due. So, and, I, and so I mentioned a moment ago that um, I'm not making anywhere near the money as I did in the '70s. Well, I was talking gross. I'm actually making more money now than I did in the '70s because yeah. I'm actually getting my fair share. But uh, yeah, I think a lot of people have learned that over the years. But if I were to write that book, and I'm going to write a book called Stranglehold, that I will, I have a couple chapters on the mistakes of, of, of false trust and mis misplaced trust of uh, business people in this industry, um, I will really spell it out. Um, it's a little late. I wish I'd have done it, you know, 50 years ago. But yeah, I think more and more guys are getting smart to that. I hope. What's that band, uh, Greta Van Fleet from uh, Grand yes. Rapids, Michigan? Yeah. 
I mean, they're red hot right now. I had a talk with their guitar player, and I kind of ran some of these things by him, and I hope it registered because when you go out and you, 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 you own the orchard and you bought the land for the orchard and you planted the trees for your apples, um, and then you have to hire people to help cultivate that and bring the apples to the uh, fruit stand, um, my God, I think that the guy who started the apple orchard, I think he should get the lion's share, shouldn't he? Yeah. Well, do you think yeah. it's harder to be a solo artist and 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 deal with this type of thing than being in a band? Because I know that Billy Joel had talked about that in an interview about how he had really gotten taken advantage of by several different managers. So does that play into it? Yeah, same thing, I think. No, I don't think it matters whether you're a solo artist or in a band. I think uh, uh, economics 101 and mathematics 101 are always... Uh, one and the same. They're always the same thing. And you just have to have an honest accounting and show. Because going on the road, you know, when I hit the road, um, before we've even played the first concert, we've spent half a million dollars just getting getting shit ready. Trucks and buses and per diems and and, and salaries and hotels and and everything that goes with it, preparing all the gear, not to mention the cross-collateralization of storage of all my gear in my big old barn and and keeping people in security. I mean, it's the the amount of money uh, that goes out the door before you ever bring any in the door is absolutely astonishing. That's why I've always admired Kiss and even Guns N' Roses and all these different bands. The amount of money, and uh, 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 there's so many different bands, I can't think of all the names right now, but uh, a Motley Crue, I mean, when they make a million dollars a night, they spend half of it just putting on the show. Right. Uh, the, the pyro and the, the, the railroad drum riser, and uh, God bless them all for that. That's investing in the future, obviously, and that's clever, clever management. But, yeah, there's a lot of lessons to be learned. But, see, I, I, you know, I don't, get dr- I don't get drunk or stoned, but I, I am intoxicated by the music. And if you, don't, if you don't give your soul to the music, you're not going to be able to put on a concert like Ted Nugent does. And right. if, you do put the, if you do put every ounce of your energy into the music, you're going to be so wasted at the end of the night that you're not going to sit down and count tickets. You're not going to sit down and review the accounting of the night. It, no. it's, it's physically impossible. So uh, there's, uh, there's economics 101, and uh, a guy better have a good manager to watch over that like I do in Doug Banker. And uh, so I've, I've done just fine, even though I was the top-grossing artist on planet Earth, 77, 78, 79, into 1980 with uh, Scream Dream and, and, and Weekend Warriors. My God, great, great records. Um, and I haven't had any hit records except the Damn Yankees. We sold over, I think, like five million records with the Damn Yankees. And we had great tours. We played over 200 concerts a year. Um, and Doug Banker was my manager at that time. So that's why I've got 2,000 acres. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Ted, yeah. we've, got, we've got to wrap up here in a minute. But I have to get a couple things. While Back in 82, um, saw you at Kobo. Carmine was drumming. Do you remember the show where... He, Half your face was fucking destroyed. Do you remember yeah, that? That was, that was September uh, 10th, 1982. I was dropping off my kids' bikes down the road uh, in, my, in my 74 Ford Bronco. And uh, I always wear my seatbelt because I raced off-road professionally for a number of years with Mickey Thompson and Parnelli Jones and all the greatest racers of all time. And, and I love horsepower and I love 
you know, fast trucks and Baja stuff. If the first time ever in my life I didn't put my seatbelt on, I dropped Sasha and Toby's bikes off, and I was just one mile from the farm, and I was driving back in that old Bronco with the 44 Gumbo Mutters on it, and the right act, the, the axle sheared at the right front tire, and there I go. I hit a, a fucking oak tree, and I smashed my skull. I, I'm so close to death. A uh, little anecdotal story there. I was wearing cutoffs and uh, sandals and no shirt, and I had a 44 Magnum in my belt, in my in my back of my, my shorts. And I, I passed out on a neighbor's porch, and they called 911. One of the ambulance came, and the sheriff deputy, they're taking me out on the stretcher. And I reached behind me, and I'm, my face is just a, a blood everywhere. I just caved in my skull. It's just ridiculous. And I reached in my pants, and I pulled out this 44 Magnum and said, Hey, deputy, would you hold this for me? One of the reasons that I'll share why when Ted's not here, because it's a a little bit of a story. But Ted, if you remember, they were going to cancel that. And you said, fuck no. That's right. I I went on stage and I think my opening statement was, who needs a face to rock and roll? Exactly. I remember that. (laughs) Yeah, and the place went fucking Carmine wild. And, and, and Dave Kaswini and Derek St. Holmes, there's another example. Every incarnation of my bands have been nothing but monsters. The greatest musicians in the world. Yeah, that, that show actually was recorded for a King Biscuit Flower, which I still... Yes, it was a monster. <laughs> I, I told you I was a geeky fan. I wasn't kidding. <laughs> You're a real music lover, man. I think you obviously focus on the greatest music in the world. God bless you. And before before we go, I have to ask you, have you read Martin Popoff's book, Epic? I helped with that book. I quite a bit of... uh, I didn't didn't read the whole thing. I went through it. You know, it's one thing I don't do is I, I do a lot of TV and I do a lot of interviews and I don't watch them or read them. Um, but I did look at that because it's got that great picture. Did you take the picture on the front where I'm in my loincloth looking in a mirror? Is that that's the one? <laughs> well, well I, I was very happy because that whole book started. Matter of fact, in one of the first chapters, Martin talks about how the book started because him and I were talking on the phone. Next thing you know, three hours fucking goes by. We're talking nothing but Ted for three hours. He goes, you know what? Fuck it. I'm writing a book about him. So I hey, sent him... I get a lot of people that make, I have a lot of nice compliments about that book. So nicely done. Well, I'm glad because I, I, I much like I do with kiss. I, I have just a huge archives of articles and every time you were in the Detroit news, which was often and, you know, ads and stuff like that. So, you know, I, I helped Martin out with, I sent him my Nugent, uh, collection and that that really helped him out with the book. And I was just making, I'm, I'm glad you liked it. I'm glad because that was the whole spirit of it. We're like, let's do a book for Nugent fans and for people who love hard rock. So guys out there, you know, and even in Kissland, um, if you want to read a great, because we've had Martin on the show too. He's a friend of the show and a great author. And as you know, Ted, he's, he's interviewed everybody and anybody, sure. but his, uh, his Nugent book is called Epic. And if, if you want to get a great rock and roll book, and if you've enjoyed today's show, you know, go, uh, go over to Martin Popoff's site and, you know, tell them uh, you heard Ted and, and and the crew here over here talking about it, and uh, and uh, you know, see if he's got any left because yeah, it's a fantastic. Tell him Uncle book. Ted sent you a nice book. There you go. There you. Go. But we we got to wrap up, Ted. Let me tell you. Um, like I said, uh, you know, look as you could tell from talking to me, I'm 
it was like Christmas Day for me today when when I found out that uh, you know you were going to be on the show and uh, we're so excited and and uh, hopefully I'm going to see you in August in uh, you know over at Pine Knob and um, you know hopefully yeah, everything August goes. 15, and, August 15, 2020, Pine Knob, Uncle Ted, Rock and Roll. Well, listen, amen, guys, I'll, thank I'll you. Be there. Thank you for caring about the music. Thank you for caring about my music. Thank you for giving me a platform to mouth off and celebrate the music that we all love. And uh, congratulations with us, man. I'll, I'll be glad to join you on your podcast anytime. Thank you, well, Ted. Thanks, it's a true you. honor. Thank Back you. you guys. Godspeed, man. Take be care. safe, be well, and uh, let's get through this pandemic and everybody listen to the experts. And uh, I think I'll see you this summer. Yes, Amen, sir. Bro. Take care. Godspeed. Thanks, Ted. Computer. Okay, I'm, reco- I'm, 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 I'm recording, guys, so... <laughs> oh god it was, a, it was a fucking box of tissue show let me tell you oh yeah mark 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 so i don't you may not have heard we are recording so this is all in the show not that anybody doesn't realize <laughs> it um i couldn't care less. but before that was but, so much that was so fucking cool but before you, be you smoking a cigarette <laughs> before you sat down here tommy and i were talking and I told Tommy, I said, I am so proud of the fact that Tommy and I could help Mark come more than he's ever done in his entire life. <laughs> and then, Tommy, what did you say? What did you say? I said, now Liz is going to be mad at us. <laughs> oh, I'm spent for a month. That's exactly it. That's exactly what he said. <laughs> Dude, well, dude, that 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 that, that that's that's a birthday present, a Christmas present, an anniversary present yeah. for the next ten years, all rolled into one for Mark. Yeah. Well, you know the the best thing, it, put it this way: if you enjoyed the show, go on. I think Eddie Trunk has his uh, the what is it that metal show reruns? Yeah. Are on YouTube. I loved Ted's appearance on. Eddie Trunk. It was from a couple, three years ago. He goes through his favorite albums of his. And, yeah. and, and this this was very that. much... What's that, Tommy? I remember that episode. Yeah, this was very much like that, too, you know? Um, look, the guy's about as passionate as you're going to get. And, uh, you know, I'm so proud to be... A, a, look, growing up with me, you know, when I was growing up, especially here in Detroit, you know, we got a healthy dose of Ted and, and Ted was, you know, it's funny as I've been working on the kiss documentaries thing, as you guys all know, that's one of the things as a, no, as, as doing research for them and going through stuff, you know, how many, you know how many articles of Ted Nugent's and how many magazine covers, I mean, right along with kiss, you know, he did, Ted did something that kiss never did in the seventies. Ted made it to the cover of Rolling Stone. I mean, unfortunately, and I, I won't get into all that crap, but unfortunately, I think a lot of younger fans don't realize how big he was. I mean, you're talking this guy, Nugent, played Cal Jam, if you know what that is. Texas Jam, if you know what that is. The original Monsters of Rocks. Guess who was one of the headliners? Ted Nugent. Right. Yeah. The the guy, as Ted alluded, well, he said, and it was a true story, he was the biggest selling solo artist for a few years. This guy was a, a touring machine, and he sold 
you know, records by the fucking busload. And and one thing I, I was really happy because you've I've seen it, you know, uh, I've I've said it on this show before, without a doubt, the most lied about celebrity in in music history. Look, if you don't like his views, fine, but Jesus fucking Christ, don't lie about him. That's the same thing. I if you know, whenever anyone's ever attacked three sides. You can say we're stupid or I never get cared. I never care about that stuff, but don't fucking lie. And it's the same thing about somebody like Ted Nugent. You don't have to like his music or you don't have to like his whatever he has to say. But fuck, what do you got to lie about him for? I see it all the time. It was nice that he addressed him. The the guy has so much passion for music. It's just, you know, talk about putting a quarter in somebody and letting them go. That's Ted Nugent, what and, we just finished and with. And it, and it, in a good way, in a good way. It was just, an, it was such a fun conversation. Now, granted, Mark, you made it even more fun because I literally, people, I was laughing my ass off. I mean, literally like... I was laughing so hard. I mean, I was literally shaking as I'm laughing at at Mark going, so you remember this and you know, do you, you know, on this one, on this one, and this, this is, I've got this drum kit and, and, and I'm just like, Oh my God, Mark is just like in absolute heaven. It was just look, I, I'm as incredibly passionate about Ted and his music as Ted is about his music as I am about. That's why I have a whole house full of kiss stuff. I'm passionate about it. And as I've said many times, I never collected kiss stuff to make money. I collect Kiss stuff because it makes me fucking happy. And it's the same reason, as I said at the end of the interview, with you know, when I helped Martin with his book, that wasn't just Kiss. I kept an archive of Ted Nugent's, too. And, and I've done that with Ozzy and Alice Cooper and a bunch of other bands. I, it's just something I've always done. You know, Kiss, obviously, there was way more stuff to collect and figurines and, you know, all that other crazy stuff. But I've got you know, a, a very big archive of, of Ted stuff and, you know, other bands. And the reason being is because I love it. And it, 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 you know, it means so much to me. And as you guys heard uh, just now, you know, Double Live Gonzo to me is every bit as important in my life as, as Kiss Alive. That, that record was a turning point for me. That was, I'm like, this is how you do it. But we should have and, on again, and maybe we can actually talk about Kiss. <laughs> <laughs> I think we got two Kiss questions in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Another nice thing about Ted is you just wind him up. He'll 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 do uh, where he wants. That that's that. You know, if if this had pretty much been any other guest, I'd be like, oh God, we've got no Kiss talk going on here. This is going to get really bad. But I sat back going. Ted's just so passionate about anything music-wise that we're bringing up here. It's a fascinating discussion, learning new things, and his descriptions of stuff is just off the wall, hysterical. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I was probably laughing half at, at comments Ted was making and half at the questions Mark was asking. Well, <laughs> yeah, oh, totally. Well, I, you know, much, much like I said, too, on the show, there was a couple of, of our listeners over the last couple of tours that said, you know, I know how much you like them. You know, whatever, I've never seen them. I'm like, go, you'll love it. And to a man, every single one of them was like, 
That was like one of the fucking most intense shows I've ever seen. I'm like, I wasn't kidding. And and I'm telling you, you'd never know that this guy's, you know, 71. He, I mean, it's nonstop entertainment from the time he hits the stage. He, he goes and goes and goes. And I'm telling you, it's song after song after song after song. And, you know, he's also, too, you know, at least, you know, if you grew up in the Midwest, I don't know what it's like in other parts of the country, but I still hear Stranglehold a dozen times a week. I still hear Cat Scratch Fever and Free For All and Dog Eat Dog. I mean, these songs are still very popular. Matter of fact, I know Ozzy's Boneyard plays the shit out of all those songs and, and Hey Baby. And, you know, it, it's it's just great. For me, and it's no different, you know, Tommy, this is very similar to what you and I had recently when we talked to, you know, we saw Paul and, and Gene and Eric and Tommy and everybody. And oh, yeah. it's just great because how many times you heard, you know, don't meet your heroes or, you know, and, and much like I said, too, when I did the Ted Danger Zone, which is the another word for kiss, meet and greet, you know, when I did that with my son, Ted was so great and so gracious and you weren't rushed through now keep in mind you know with kiss you can talk you got four guys to talk to you but when ted does it's just ted but he took that room he talked to us he signed our stuff we each got an individual picture and he was funny i mean laugh out loud funny because i mean we were having fun here in the in the you know on talking to him but when you're in a room with the guy he's one he's one of those guys and he's a big guy too you know, he just lights up the room. He's a great conversationalist. And, um, you know, that was one of the things I, you know, I've been, my son and I went and we had so much fun. And uh, just, uh, again, just uh, so great uh, to have somebody on like Ted who gets it, loves life, loves music, loves his fans, loves what he does. This isn't a fucking chore. He doesn't tour because he fucking has to. And, and, and like I said, too, also on the show, and I, it was nice to talk to him about quietly, quietly, Ted has had a Ted Nugent camp for kids for decades, helping underprivileged kids, donating venison to food banks all over Michigan. It was a big thing. Quietly, you know, great character guy. He, he, he walks the walk and talks the talk. Whether you like it or not is, is irrelevant. Because he believe what he believes in, he practices what he preaches. He's not one of those guys that tells you not to smoke while he's smoking a pack a day. You know what I mean? This guy, I, I love the he, he. He's a man of his convictions, and let me tell you, all that comes out in the music. All that comes out in the guitar playing, and you know, just really quick, it much like we talk about all the time in the last ten years, Ted. Go check out "Shut Up and Jam," which was his. What, which is what he was trying to say. The lyrics to that song are are something go along the lines of "You know who I am, you know where I stand." So fuck it, just shut up and jam. In other words, I'm Ted Nugent. This is what I do. This is who I am. Here's my music. That is such a great album. And by the way, not only does Derek St. Holmes sing a song on that, Sammy Hagar does too. And the last record, here's a, here's a good thing. If you want to check out some new music. Uh, the title track, The Music Made Me Do It, is his latest, which came out I think, last year, 2018. Um, but guys, it's the same shit. If you like Kiss, you're going to love that. I mean, if you like 
70s style hard rock or just hard rock in general you know the music what made I'm me just do trying it. to say is you know listen with your ears and don't pay attention to what he does or is because you can separate that from but, the music but you know it doesn't matter what side of the political spectrum you are i love all kind i'm a huge pretenders fan i couldn't be any less a fan of what chrissy Hines says on stage or excuse me i don't care i don't care I just want to. I want to hear tattooed love boys turned on twelve. I fucking love the Pretenders. I don't care about her. Never care. That's the whole thing about this. I'm very passionate about this. It drives me crazy when I hear stuff like that. I don't. I don't. You want to talk about some? Look, go go back in uh, what what uh, Jimmy Page was doing with an underage girl on the fucking. I think it was a 1971 or 72 tour. He basically had a 14-year-old girl with him. I'm not saying it's right, wrong, or indifferent, but that doesn't mean cashmere sucks all of a sudden. I don't understand that mindset. If the music's good, the music's good. If the acting's good, the acting's good. Look, you can have some pretty horrific people. One of them is, is Gary Glitter from some of the... Rock and Roll Part 2 is still awesome. I, look, I don't have to like the crap he did in his private life, but you can't say that song sucks. It doesn't. I don't. I don't. I have a disconnect there. I guess I've never judged anything other than by. I, I judge art by its art, not by its creator. That I've never understood people who, oh, this guy thinks this way, so oh, I, his guitar playing sucks. Really, really, I, really. That I, I don't understand that at all. Again, I, I I love everybody from Ace Frehley to you know to to Richie Blackmore. If, if you've ever read anything on Richie Blackmore, what a dick! He's a real dick. Read read the the God, I can't remember the name of the, the last guy's the guy's last name is Bloom. But uh, he wrote a autobiography about Richie. What an asshole! And Deep Purple's one of my favorite bands. I, I don't care. I just want to rock. So, there. So, my, so, my so, so, what kind of homework are we going to ask for this week? At what point did Mark <laughs> <laughs> use up his first box of Kleenex? Maybe we could do one of those um, bet, betting square things where everyone picks a minute. We could turn you know? this. We could turn this into a drinking game. Take a shot yeah. every time Mark. Goes fanboy. Yeah, but you better get a big bottle of Jack <laughs> and be ready to puke. Yeah. <laughs> so than anything, I, I I hope everybody enjoy. You know, no different than when we had Eric Singer on. You know, it was it was fun. You know, talking to someone that you look up to. I mean, I I just say because he's a dear friend of mine, but. You know, you can, you can, will you stop? He's, ma you, he's making you know, up. That should have been ringing the whole show with Ted. He should have yeah. been ringing it. Yeah. Well, that's what I was getting at. You know, I love talking drums with Eric. I love talking music. And it was the same thing with Ted. I, I love the fact that, you know, he knew all this local stuff that I grew up with. You know, I told him, you know, where I lived. He knows right where, where the air, you know, air near, I knew I live right near the and air. He knows near. where not to drive. Right. What's that? Those were not to drive now when he's in town. Yeah, yeah, correct. But that was just it. You know, it was it was that that same sort of connection when you know we have a guest 
that on whose you love their work and you know it 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 just resonates. It was really, oh, really. I, cool. Listen, we've we've all seen and loved Mark doing fanboy in previous episodes, but this nothing compared to this episode. This was just uncomparable. I mean, it was just huge. Sitting back and listening to you. I mean, I kid you not, Mark. That last question where you're like, "So you remember the show in Detroit?" and and I thought you were literally going to go. Did you remember me waving at you from the st from the audience? <laughs> I, it, I have it, a. Very, I didn't tell Michael. There's. I, I did not tell the story that accompanies that. Okay. That show. Oh no no! This is a great story. No go go go. So, so this this show almost gets canceled because Ted just literally his whole side of his. I imagine if I do a, a search, maybe I can't. Believe it. It, it, he looked like he was dead. He went on stage and he's and he was absolutely right. That's the first thing he said. You don't need a face to rock and roll. His fucking face was black and blue. I was right up front, and here's the reason I was right up front. It it Kobo. If anybody knows anything about Cobo Hall, where Kiss Alive was, it was record, or partially recorded. Cobo Hall didn't have it, it was like horseshoe, like where the stage was. Right. It, there was no seats behind it. Everything you know was a horseshoe. The some of the best seats were were the riser seats, which were off to the side. But as I just said, it's a riser, so right off main floor. You could look over everybody's heads. The riser seats were the ones everybody wanted. They were fucking great seats. Matter of fact, saw so Maiden and Juice Priest in riser seats. Fantastic. But anyways, I had riser seats for Nugent. And my buddies and I, there was four of us. And we looked down front. And keep in mind, this was 82, I was 17. We see these girls right up front. And I say to my buddy Rick, I'm like, man, we could we could probably push our way in through there if we, you know, get there before Ted comes on it. Because I think John Butcher Axis opened. Um, so we do. We end up, I'm like, fuck this. I said, wait for the security guy, and then we'll go off the risers because it was part of main floor. So we go there, and we push our way next to these girls. Next thing you know, I made out with this chick the entire fucking show. Literally, I was that 17-year-old dude. Well, hold on. Hold on. It gets better. So there was there was these two girls. There's four of us. But I ended up staying with this one girl just making out with her the whole fucking time. And midway through the show, my buddy and I switched girls. And then I ended up making out with Oh, and that's where it began. Well, hold on, dude. So, so this goes on. I, that, that, one of the reasons that I'm so happy that that was a King Biscuit flower is because I missed the whole show. It was front row, but I was making out with a girl the whole fucking time. So anyways, so at the end of the fucking show, my buddy, these, you know, we're done. We both look at these girls and we're like, almost like John Belushi did once he, when she dropped, uh, what's that, the, in, in, uh, in the Blues Brothers? See ya. <laughs> That's exactly it. So, <laughs> you you should you I, you should have you should have asked Ted if he remembered the guy making out in the front row. <laughs> so, I'll never forget. We're literally Ted's. Here's what I'll never forget. I'm totally making out with this, this girl, and Ted's fucking boot. He was wearing those like loin the the you know the leather right. boots. 
I'm next to the riser. You're, or excuse me, not the the uh, the barrier. And fucking Ted has his foot on just rocking, and I'm too busy making out with this girl. It's fucking <laughs> awesome. That that was a great concert experience. Uh, so. Jesus. <laughs> oh Lord! I have to be young again. We it, we all wish we could go to concerts with Mark back then. Yeah, no kidding. You're either getting meat thrown at you, making out with girls, or bootlegging from the balcony. <laughs> yeah. I, I I was just thinking, of, this all happened in 1982, or 1982-83. I got hit with uh, um, Wendy O. Williams through part, at the Creature Show. I got hit um, with something she threw from the stage. I made out at a Ted Nugent show, and I get hit by a piece of meat at Ozzy. All fucking at Cobo Hall, all within a, basically a year's time. I was just talking about that with my friend. I'm like, how fucking great. I had, a, I, had a friend, well, I had a friend of mine in high school. His dad worked for the city, so we, oh, that's, that's how, we always got riser seats. Or we always got in the first three rows, because he could get them through the city. Yeah. So and we didn't have to pay any extra money. We just paid them fucking normal price. Yeah. And always, I was always right up front for those shows. I was so fucking lucky. Anyways, I have so many great experiences. What my buddy and I were talking about the other day, because I missed it by a day. They there's this video going on. You might want to check it out. It's kind of cool. The guy who won the Lost Weekend from Van Halen. Yes. That was like a three day. I, w- I didn't go to the night that they brought him out, but the- I just remember we were just talking about shows and I said there was something magical or something in the water. Because like within that year, you know, seeing Van Halen on the Fair Warning tour, seeing, you know, Ozzy on the Blizzard of Oz tour with Randy Rhodes, seeing the Creatures of the Night tour, seeing Ted Nugent with Carmine Peace and Derek St. Holmes back in a bit. It was such a magical fucking time to be a music lover here it it if you wonder why i'm so geeky that's why that was my that was my teenage years man again also in 82 iron maiden opening up for judas priest at cobo hall again i had the riser seats for that i I just who did you make out with at that show (laughs) unfortunately nobody but um i i can't (laughs) his buddy I, I, I'm just telling you, I, I have got concert stories. I was so lucky. All the all the fun times, man. That's how come I went all the time. It was a fucking adventure. We don't have that. That's what's great about music. And the people that didn't go don't understand it. Well, you know what? That's getting back to our little show. That's how I got to know you guys. and That's how we, because we traveled. We went and we found, I never was one of those guys like, I'm just going to sit home. It's safe and nobody's going to bother. You know what I mean? I'm like, fuck that. Let's get out of the house. I want to go do something. Still to and this that, day. That's my life to this day. Yeah. Now, now it's, hey, now it's Liz, I'm going to a concert tonight. I feel like making out with someone. She's <laughs> like, have fun. <laughs> oh my god! I, uh, I should have my friend Rick, my my friend Rick, because he's the one who went to with with me to all these concerts and stuff. He's a he's one of my dearest best friends, and he lives in he's a dentist. He lives in Florida now. We went to high school together. We had so much fucking fun. You know, we went to all these shows together. Just, just uh, it was funny because I I remember I posted something about the creature show, and my buddy Rick was like, I was right there when that fucking happened. You know what I mean? It was just. Yeah. 
just all the fucking telling you. And Ted alluded to it, and then that's where it's a nice little tie in here. Detroit during the 70s and 80s for concerts. I don't know what it was like other places, but this was the fucking Mecca, boy, and Cobo Hall was the fucking epicenter, and everybody played there. And there's a reason, too, that parts of, you know, um, Live Bootleg and parts of the Live Jay Giles record and, and parts Bob Seger, there's a reason that those live albums were recorded at Cobo Hall. A, it was just a magical fucking place. What's there now? It's it's now it's it's now they're gonna have like car show. It's the arena itself is still there, but it's it, they don't do concerts or anything. And I was I mean, happy as you guys out. know. Kiss, what's that? They didn't tear it down though. They didn't tear down the physical building. They reimagined the inside, so it's it's not an arena anymore. It's right. It's mm-hmm. like they took all the seats out. Now it's for auto shows, trade and, shows. Yeah. And you know. And just so you guys know, too, because I've actually had people contact me, Cobo Hall and Cobo Arena are the same exact thing. Just people here called it Cobo Hall. Some people called it Cobo Arena. The odd person would call it Cobo Center. It's just Cobo. Because I've had people go, where did Kiss play? Everybody just used that vernacular. It was one of those three. But usually I always called it Cobo Hall. Some people call yeah. it Coco Arena. It's the same exact place. So I, I just recently had somebody from overseas. They said they're doing some project on Kiss, and they're like, "I need exact details." You know, I, I, it said that whatever because I think he was looking at the because there's videos as you guys know on on the Kissologies from uh, from '76 on the Alive tour and then the Rock and Roll Over tour. Um, on in uh, in seventy seven, um, and uh, he's like, you know, one's Cobo Hall, one's Cobo Arena. I'm like, you know, whatever you, whatever you say is what it is because those are the same places. So there's a little little Detroit trivia for you. So I think for so anyways, ho- I'm glad, I hope you guys enjoyed me enjoying oh, today's show. I, I was, was I was just, I was, yeah, I was just gonna say this is probably the most fun I've had recording an episode. I've never la- let's put oh, it this way: we tears. we laugh a lot after shows are done. This is the first time I literally was laughing so hard through the entire show. It was just like okay. Sit back. I don't know who's going to talk more, Mark or Ted, but go for it, guys. I love, you know, I really love the fact that he brought up, you know, the the Midwestern work ethic. And that just reaches down into my soul because that's who I am. You know, I, I, I just maybe that's why I have such a connection to that guy's music. And to again, it was just nice to it's nice to hear. You know? Well, that's why I was asking him about the Midwest work ethic as well. Well, that's yeah. what I mean, Tom, because you and I talked about it. Yeah. Um, you know, it, 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 and trust There's me, look, work hard all over this country and all over this world. I get it. But I think if you're from here, you, you, you maybe you'll know a little bit more about, I guess, what, what we're talking about, I guess. I mean, Detroit, you know, especially here, trust me, people who, work in Silicon Valley and stuff, work every bit is harder, harder. But when, when you, I mean, I grew up in a construction family. I own a construction company now. I mean, 
man, it's tough to drag your ass to work some days when you got to sit outside <laughs> and run a fucking jackhammer. I, I know. And I yeah. tell you what, I, I remember I was with my friend Otto, and uh, he's was a good friend, still is, good friends with the guys in Metallica, and he brought me as a guest, and we went and spent the day with Metallica. This would have been on the, maybe the Black Album tour? I think it was. Anyways, but it's one of those rock and roll members. I got home at like 5 a.m., and I had to leave for work at 6 that morning. And I remember we were blowing out a wall, and I had to hang the jackhammer off of a backhoe bucket to fucking jackhammer the wall out because we had it was up. Look, man, <laughs> when you were out rocking and rolling heavy metal style all night, getting no sleep, but knowing the reason you're allowed or the reason you can do that stuff is because you're you always make sure you're at work and you make sure that, like Ted said, you know, you live within your means, you work hard. It's exactly that's the way I was raised. That's what I do now, you know, and I get it. And, um, you know, I don't know how that transcends to other people, but it makes perfect fucking sense to me. I know exactly what he's talking about because I live it and. You know, it's it's just kind of cool to, to, you know, to hear that sort of thing. I agree. So I, there's plenty of homework there. Take it. Yes. Head over to Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, wherever you watch or listen. Leave your homework we'll answers. Everybody, well. if nothing else, at least leave your reaction to listening to Mark. That's it. If, yeah. if, if there's one thing you say is just... You laughed your ass off. You were in tears. I don't know what it is, but tell us your reaction to listening to Mark. We couldn't be happier for him. I mean, a, a kid, gold. We, we, we've known about this for, what, 10 days maybe? Maybe yeah, a little more, actually. Two, two weeks. Yeah. And Mark has been a giddy schoolgirl, like, every day. Oh, my God, oh, my God. You know, and, and, and in this case... I told Mark and Tommy, I'm like, let's get on the phone 15 minutes before we have to call Ted. So we're online. We've worked out our technical issues because, lo and behold, we still had technical issues. Not Mark's fault. Skype's fault. Um, and, you know, Mark and every, we're, we're just chatting to kill time. And, and I'm like, five minutes, five minutes, two minutes, 30 <laughs> seconds. <laughs> It was great. It, it, it was, it, you know, if you've ever had kids and you've given them that amazing Christmas present, that's what this sort of felt like. We gave Mark an amazing present here. I mean, he was so happy. It was, I loved it. Absolutely loved it. I, I, I look at stuff like this. If I could go back and tell my 15-year-old self that in, you know, within a month's time, you're going to be hanging out with Kiss and then you're going to be talking to Ted on the phone. I never would have fucking bought it. Yeah, I, I would just said you're on fucking crack. But that's my life. And, I mean, and, 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 that's fucking and, awesome. And let's let's be clear here. It wasn't a 10-minute or 15-minute quick interview with Ted. It was nearly an hour and a half of just Ted. Because he was comfortable. He was comfortable. Yeah, it was great. It was great. So anyway... Leave your comments. We want to hear what you what you think. Answer the homework questions. Follow us on Spotify. 
subscribe to us on, on YouTube, uh, iTunes, leave a review and a rating. Uh, it's all greatly appreciated. And uh, we're working on more guests. God knows nobody can go anywhere right now, so they should be available. <laughs> <laughs> and I hope um, you guys enjoyed everything today. Uh, you know, hopefully you stuck through and, and, and hopefully, um, you know, you guys will, will check out, like I said, uh, the music made me do it. Go go check that tune out. Go check out Shut Up and Jam. You know, the, again, these are these are the songs that maybe if if rock radio was still relevant, they would have played much like they played Cat Scratch Fever and Stranglehold and, you know, some of the more well-known stuff. But as you know, they unfortunately your local if there's even a rock radio station left. And this isn't just Ted. This is everyone from Bruce Springsteen on down. They don't in the who and Deep Purple. Matter of fact, Deep Purple, Whoosh is the name of the new record, comes out in June. Can't wait to get that. 52 years after their first record, they're still putting new music out. Hey, Kiss, I'm listen, what's Deep Purple doing? Exactly. I'm supporting it. I, matter of fact, I bought the deluxe version. Oh, speaking of which, too, that er, did you guys get that early year? I don't know if you guys are fans. That early year's box set from Def Leppard is just the shit, boy. I, I haven't bought it, but I've been listening to it on streaming. Man, that's that's early, raw, rock and oh. roll Def Leppard, man. Yeah, see, I, I don't like, I never liked uh, Pyromania. I never, all that stuff. It meant nothing to me. I, I just didn't like it. Like, that was my band getting ruined because, God, go back to that magical time, Def Leppard in 81, 82, you know, um you know, wasted and rocks off and, you know, high and dry and let it go. And that's the stuff I like, you know, but yeah, that, that box that's fantastic. So yeah, def that's definitely thumbs up. Check, have... check out that new Def Leppard. That's yeah. new Def Leppard of, of old. It's, it's, is it what the first two albums remastered? Yes. And, 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 and then a live recording live show. And then a bunch of demos. I, I tell you what, here's, I'm getting super geeky. The Def Leppard EP was not part of it. And I love the EP. If you guys are familiar with Heat Street and um, oh, that's a, uh, Glad I'm Alive. Although on the box set, on the current one, there's a very first demo of Glad I'm Alive, which I think is actually better than the version on the EP. So, um, it's got an, an added guitar part. Again, you know, yes, was I talking super geeky with Ted? Much like I said so many times, I could talk super geeky about a ton of bands. Def Leppard's another one. Look, guys, I love this stuff. That was another reason why I love talking to Ted. He loves this stuff, too. It's awesome. But, 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 and, before, before, before we say goodbye, Mark, literally I have one question to ask. You would think today of all days you would have broke rotation and deliberately sought out a Ted Nugent t-shirt. It's not like I don't have a ton of them. <laughs> <laughs> That's the whole point. <laughs> Break rotation. Rotation's what it is, man. It's like whatever Liz washes and where it ends up getting That's in the closet. It's what it is. Oh, all right, guys. So this was a blast. We hope you loved it as much as we did. And we'll see everybody next week.
love the show, go to itunes.threesidesofthecoin.com and leave your review and rating of Three Sides of the Coin. Thanks. Download your free, free copy of the KISS School of Marketing. 11 Lessons I Learned Working with KISS. The number one downloaded business book on Noise Trade. Go to books.noisetrade.com slash Michael Brandvold. You're listening to Three Sides of the Coin. So you love the show. Go to itunes.threesidesofthecoin.com and leave your review and rating of Three Sides of the Coin. Thanks.